Short is having a fundraiser this coming Saturday, April 14th. There will be free will donation babysitting here at Creekside. So for those parents who may be looking for an opportunity to get out uh, for a little alone time, talk to Caitlin afterwards. All proceeds will go to the Carlisle uh, slash Hartford Freedom for Youth. So a uh, great opportunity. That's from 5 to 8 on Saturday night. Yeah, if you do happen to be a uh, guests this morning, if you would uh, fill out one of those little connection sheets uh, underneath your, the chair in front of you. And then just put that in the offering plate when it goes by this morning. And as our guest, that's all we'd ask you to put in the offering plate. We're just really glad that you're worshiping with us. If you happen to have found a, a key uh, that you saw laying around, it's on a lanyard. Uh, one of our young gentlemen would appreciate it. Uh, you could talk to Caleb Keppel after the service if you've seen it since Wednesday night. It seems that... Uh, he left it there. I was told on good authority that he wants the key to get into his house, but his parents don't really care if he finds it. So uh, that's, uh, they didn't tell me that. Somebody else told me that, so it's all right. Let's, uh, let's pray, if you would pray with me this morning. Father, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus, and yet uh, it's not always easy, and it's not always a bed of roses and so we come this morning father to worship you in spirit and in truth asking that you would guide us and open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your law not just to sit and soak in those truths but that we would let those truths wash over our souls so that we might move out and live and impact the world in which you've put us in for the glory of God and the gain of your kingdom we pray in Christ's name amen as a new homeowner, I get a, a bundle of stuff every week, uh, uh, all kinds of stuff. Internet providers want me to buy their stuff. I have banks that want my business. I have fitness exercise places that want us to sign up to go to the, their exercise gym. We've got all these solicitations. And then there's the usual stuff that comes with restaurants and all this. They have special offers and special deals and spring specials and all kinds of special deals. Enticements for you and me as consumers to buy their stuff, things they want you to purchase. And I think, what, what, is, what is going on? They just want me to, they just want more stuff. But we have, a, we have a credit card, and about two times a year, I get a mailing from the credit card company. And in the mailing, it lists 
a series of benefits that we have because we are members, because we have this credit card. It's not a solicitation for our business. It's not an enticement for buying. It's an encouragement for belonging to this club. Uh, not without a price, you, you understand, but we, we belong. And it's interesting that as we come to the close of John's letter, first epistle, we see that the Apostle John is reminding the believers of the benefits, not enticements to believe, although, interestingly enough, the benefits are an enticement to believe, but his focus is on an encouragement for those who do believe. How can we be uh, encouraged by what we, we believe in? In 1 John chapter 5, verses 13-17, through 17, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we took a little break last week, remember? We talked about this thing called the resurrection, and so we focused on the resurrection. But on a couple weeks ago, we talked about the 13 through 17 in 1 John chapter 5, and in that section, John reminds believers of the blessed assurance. You can rest assured if you're trusting in Jesus and his death on the cross is a payment for your sin because you have the promise of eternal life. You can know you have eternal life. And you can know that you have answered prayer, the assurance of answered prayer. And we deal with it at great length. Now, as he winds up the book and concludes, he beats this drum of benefits again. If you will, it's like the, the, the treasures of believing. He has three more treasures here. Three more truths, three more benefits of believing that will not only encourage us as believers, but also will serve to incentivize godly living, deter us from taking our liberty and making it a license because of these benefits that we have. And so I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 18 through 21, where John shares three guaranteed benefits of knowing Christ. And these benefits deter those of us who have the security of knowing Jesus from just living any way we want. In fact, they incentivize godly living. You will. I'm going to read the text and we'll unpack these three guaranteed benefits of believing that are basically an extension of what he's already said in verses 13 through 17. It's just kind of adding on and piling on the benefits what it means to the treasures of what it means to trust in Jesus. First John chapter 5, beginning with verse 18, we know, and this is what I want to kind of give you a little look for that key phrase, okay? We know. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. John centers his thoughts around three repeated times of this phrase, we know. And so there are these three benefits. First of all, 
and this is the way I've laid it out. If you want to the simple phrase, it's, it's victory over sin. But I've put it this way. We don't practice sin, but we are protected from Satan. That's the first benefit. Believers are not practicing sin, but protected from Satan. From Satan. We have victory over sin. Three bold declarations. We know, we know, we know. Lay out the benefits. Who are, who's the we? Verses 18, 19, and 20. You can see it. We know, we know, we know. We know that no believer practices sin. We know, in verse 19, that we are of God. In verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come. And he elaborates on that. Who's the we? Those who are born of God. Verse 18. We know that no one who is born of God Verse 19, we know that we are of God. If we're born of God, we're of God. These are the things that are written to those who know God who are born of God. Right? They're believers who believe in the name of the Son of God. Verse 13, believers know. It's an unshakable certainty. We can know. I had a man that I, that I know who is more than an acquaintance, but he's not a really good friend. I suppose you have some of those people in your life. He's more than an acquaintance, but he's not a really good friend. I haven't actually seen him for a few years, but I was visiting with him and got to know him. And he was in the special forces when he was in the military, special ops. He knew things for certain that he couldn't tell me because they were not to be known outside of his unit. We know, if we're trusting Christ, some things that are very important. And we can share them freely with other people. We know, and ESV puts it this way, that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Now, that has been born of God or is born of God, the, the, the translation there is basically the idea is it's a, a present action that's it's, it's continuing into the future. It's not something that happened once and then you're, it's not a one and done. It's a continuous thing, being born of God. If you're born of God, you're born of God. If you're trusting in Jesus and his death alone as a payment for your sins, then you're a child of God. You is a believer. Okay, forgive my improper English. Okay, you, you, he is born of God. It continues on. And notice in verse 18, he says, We know that no one who is born of God, some of your translations, the older translations say, is begotten of God. Okay, so it gets a little confusing because when we think of begotten of God, we typically think of Jesus. The only begotten of the Father. Well, he's in here too. But the first phrase has to do with those who are believers, begotten of God. They don't persist in sin. The ESV says he doesn't keep on sinning. So sometimes when you read this, if you just read it on face value, you'd say, well, he doesn't sin. Okay, well, that counts me out because I sin. We saw back in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 10, that everyone sins. It's not a matter of whether we sin or we don't sin. We all sin. The question is whether we continue in sin, whether we have willful, known rebellion against God. If a person is living in willful, known rebellion against God without remorse, without regret, without repentance, then there's a need to go, whoa, wait a second, I'm not sure that they really know Jesus. Or I really know Jesus. That's what he's talking about. True believers keep living for Jesus. Our new birth brings new behavior. 
I've told you before, and it's kind of like repeating again, but if you look at the picture of this orange tree, it will, it will make the, the, the case. How do we know it's an orange tree? Because it produces oranges. How do we know we're a believer? Because the Spirit of God is present in a believer, and the Spirit of God produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are being produced. doesn't mean we're automatically already there, but they're being produced in the life of the believer. The true child of God does not persist in this willful known sin. Righteousness marks us as a characteristic of our life. And not only, get this, not only does the Spirit of God produce fruit, but it says in the text of verse 18, next phrase, but he who was born of God keeps him. Who's that? The firstborn of God is believers. The second he who was born of God is the Son, Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay? See it there. You see it in 1 John 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The only begotten. This one is Jesus. So he who has been born of God does not persist in sin because that's not his nature. But additionally, God gives us his son, the one who has been born of God, who keeps us, it says, or protects us from the evil one. In John chapter 17, verses 12 through 17, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, he said this, while I was with them, I was keeping them in you. In your name, which you had given me, I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. That's the son praying to the father that the father would work through him to keep us. I want you to look at this little uh, clip, if you would, uh, to kind of give you an idea of what it means to keep or to protect. Y'all would guess that more often than not, the highest paid player on an NFL team is a quarterback. And you'd be right. But what you probably don't know is that more often than not, the second highest paid player is, thanks to Orange Taylor, a left tackle. Because as every housewife knows, the first check you write is for the mortgage, but the second is for the insurance. And the left tackle's job is to protect the quarterback from what he can't see coming, to protect his blind side. The left tackle protects the blind side of the quarterback, assuming the quarterback is a right-handed quarterback, I guess. Uh, the Son of God protects the child of God. It says he protects us from the evil one. But he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one, he keeps him, he protects us. He does not allow the, the evil one. We're vulnerable, and we're susceptible to temptation and to being drawn into attack. But he keeps us from falling back into this pattern of sin. The, the Spirit of God and the Son of God work together to keep us from going back into sinful lifestyle. That's the way I understand it. The, Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. We saw that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. 
And he is working now to keep us, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, there you go. Okay, well, wait a second. Now I'm getting into some deep woods here. Like, well, what do you mean, the evil one? Uh, Satan doesn't touch the believer. He cannot grip us. He cannot hold us. He can torment us. He can test us. You see this in the book of Job. The evil one tested and tormented Job. But he can't take him away. He can't grab a hold of him and reclaim him. In 1 John chapter four or 2, look back at 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. We are overcomers, not succumbers. We are overcomers. We are eternally secure in the Son. That doesn't mean that we can't be tempted. It doesn't mean we can't be tested. But it does mean that we can never be taken. Think of John chapter 10, verse 28, where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And then he says, And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. He goes on to say, Because my Father who gave them to me is greater than me, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. In John chapter 6, Jesus said in verses 37 and 39 that the, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And, I, and, um, and he who come, well, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. What does that mean? It's a benefit of believing. But for a child of God, that God is protecting us. He's the Son of God is keeping us from the evil one, from him ever drawing us, taking us, and having us in his grips again. Doesn't mean we can't be tempted. Doesn't mean we can't be tested. But any connection to the evil one was severed at our regeneration so that we're secure in the arms of a loving Father. We can never fall back into sin without our own permission without our permission. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, he says, uh, you know, do not let the, the sun go down in your wrath. Don't give the enemy a foothold. You see, when we sin and deliberately choose to sin, then we give the enemy a foothold, and then he can have more sway in our life than we want, but he can never take us. He can never reclaim us. We are God's children. As Paul said at the end of Romans, you can read Romans chapter 8 sometime and be really good encouragement in verses 38 and 39 for I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come neither height nor depth nor any other created being is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord nothing that's a benefit of believing that we are the people of God are ones who do not practice sin but we are protected from Satan secondly in verse 19 we know, and we know, we're sons of God, and we're not slaves of Satan. There are two groups of people in the world, folks. Look at verse 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Strong contrast here between the source of God's people and the source or the condition of the world. That is, all of fallen humanity, all of unregenerated humanity, as expressed in politics, religion, education, every place. The unregenerate, the, the evil world system 
controlled by unregenerate man, it lies in the power of the evil one. It's sourced in Satan. Those who are the children of God are sourced, are of God, are of God in his loving arms. Peter Schweitzer's book, Secret Empires, exposes massive corruption, deception, dishonesty in people, lives of people in both political parties, okay? So it's not, it's not a partisan thing. It's in both political parties. Just demonstrating that the world lies pitifully, powerlessly, and as, as John Stott, I think, has accurately said, perhaps even unconsciously asleep, dominated and controlled by the enemy. Isn't it interesting that we should be saddened but not surprised by... Iran, North Korea, and Russia, and the political people who want the power. They're trying to gain power so they can control people. And we should not be surprised, but we should be saddened by the corruption, the dishonesty that we see in our own country. Why? Because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's it. The condition of the lost, you know, I think about it. You know, you think about the condition of the world and lying in the power of the evil one. When you talk about the power of Russia or North Korea or Iran, you think about the corruption in the government, does it bring you to a point, particularly when you think about the people involved, are we compassionate towards those people? Or are we holding them in contempt? I think more often than not, we, we tend to hold them in contempt rather than seeing them, as Jesus said, like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're, what's a sheep without a shepherd? It's a dead sheep pretty soon because sheep are stupid and sheep will be taken out easily. I think about that. Paul, in Colossians chapter 4, he says, I, he calls us to, to wise conduct and gracious words with regard to those who are outside, with regard to those who are in the world. And I find myself getting mad and getting angry and getting upset with people who act like knuckleheads because, hey, what? They're under the control of the evil one. They're not the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. And but by the grace of God, there I go. That's me. So God asks us for grace. The power of the risen Christ within believers frees us. This text says we are not of the evil one. We are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You're either of God or of the evil one. And if you're a believer, you're trusting in Jesus, you're of God. And we have been raised to new life through our faith or our trust in Christ. It's Romans chapter 6. You look at Romans chapter 6, verse 4. He says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Then verse 5, he says, For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, Knowing this, that our old self has been crucified. That means put to death. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should no longer be, get the last phrase, read it, slaves of sin. Now, 
That's because of our union with Christ. It's not because we sucked it up and we, you know, gritted our teeth and pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and said, I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm going to fight Satan on my own. No. It's because of the power of the risen Christ within me that I can have victory over sin and Satan and hell. This is the benefit of believing. Verse 14 uh, in, in Romans chapter 6 says the same thing, that, that we should put to death the, our, 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 the members of our flesh. We should put to death sin in the members of our flesh. Paraphrase. When I was in seminary, I took a job working in a, an Italian restaurant for Freddy Cesaretti. Uh, Freddy was a full-blooded Italian, and he made everything from scratch as much as he could. He made his own raviolis, made the ravioli dough. He stuffed them with, uh, with sausage and with spinach, and it was uh, musto, musto gusto. It was, uh, it, was go- it was good, you know. Uh, and uh, a lot of people tried to tell me what to do when I worked for Freddie. They said, you need to go do this. You need to go do that. You need to go do that. I did what Freddie told me because Freddie was the boss. If you're a child of God, the Lord is your boss. We don't do what everybody else tells us. We don't do what the world tells us. We don't do what Satan tells us. We do what the Lord tells us. He is our boss. He is my master. And so I ask you this morning, which John was driving home to the people, are, are you professing faith in Christ? It's the title of the series, Possess what you profess. Are we professing Jesus? And if we are, are we possessing what we profess and we know we possess what we profess if we practice what we preach? If we live the truth, if we live out what we say we're about, James 4 says that friendship for, for friendship with the world is hostility towards God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's pretty dangerous stuff. We read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and sinful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world and its lusts are passing away. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. See, there's this benefit of believing. It's beautiful. It's blessed. But we have to get it straight. Are we living what we profess? Those who belong to Jesus don't behave like the world. But I wonder if people looked at my life, if they looked at your life, would they see us behaving like the world? And Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, therefore you must put them all aside. You, know, you, must, you must, therefore, you must put aside uh, these, uh, the members of your earthly body. You must cause them to be dead to immorality, to impurity, to passion, to evil desire, and to greed, which amounts to idolatry. You must also put them all aside anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Colossians 3, verses 5 and 8. Uh, in some way, shape, or fashion. Close, okay, not exactly. But we must put them aside. Now you say, okay, I'm going to wake up this morning and I'm just not going to be angry. I'm not going to be slanderous. I'm not going to be, you know. No. It's in the power of Christ. 
because his life is in me that I'm able in the moment to say, Lord, I submit to you. It's not suck it up and just moralism that you do it better. I'm going to do better. Yes, there's our part, but there's God's part, Spirit of God working within us. You see, Satan cannot lay claim on us anymore. We're protected. Satan cannot control us because we are sons of God and not slaves of Satan. And the final truth that we see in the text in verses 20 and 21 is that we receive the truth and we reject what is false. And when we receive the truth, it's basically a description about these verses are really all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. John concludes, and you understand that he's speaking to the heretics who claimed that Jesus was not the Messiah. And they also claimed that they had exclusive rights to enlightenment without Jesus. Now, read verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come. The Son of God, Jesus, has come. He is the Messiah. In fact, if you looked at verses 1 through 4 of 1 John, you'd see that John is writing about the one who is coming. And now he says he has come. So he comes full circle from chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, now to chapter 5, verse 20. He is the Messiah, and guess what? There's no enlightenment apart from him because that's the next phrase that he gets into. Without him, as John Stott says, both revelation and redemption are his, that is Christ's gracious work. Revelation and redemption. Without him, we could neither know God nor overcome sin. So there's three facts about Jesus that are presented here that give us the full picture of this benefit of having received the truth and rejecting falsehood. First, that the Son of God has come. An action in the past, the effects of which continue into the future. Some will say that winter has come. It came, it's here, and it never will leave. That's the idea communicated by the Son of God has come. Whereas winter will leave when spring comes, the Son never leaves. His reign and His rule is perpetual. He has come. He has come. Folks, our faith is rooted and grounded not in hypotheses, not in dream stuff, not in theories, but in facts and historical accuracy. The Son of God has come. The Son of God has risen. The Son of God is living. The Son of God is coming again. He is here to stay. And he never left. I mean, he's always been. From eternity past to eternity future, he's here. So that is an encouragement to me. Our faith is grounded in the truth. And we have received this truth. Secondly, Jesus has given us understanding. Revelation of God the Father, the true. Now look at verse 20. He says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given understanding in order that what? For this purpose. In order means for this purpose. That we might know Him who is true. That is the living God. The Son has come to give us understanding of Him who is true. The living God. Think about that. Apart from the Son's revelation of the Father, 
you and I will never come into a right relationship with the Almighty God. The Son has to reveal Him because it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, it's, a, it's an amazing verse where Jesus lays it out for us. He says that as the Son, no one can know the Father except the Son and to the one to whom the Son reveals Him. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, it's because the Son has revealed Him to you. Now, the Spirit of God's working too, okay, so I'm not denying the work of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has to enlighten us. It's interesting because 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the glory of Christ in the image, or might not see the glory, glory of God in the image of Christ. Okay? Well, there it is. You got it. You get it right now. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in the image, glory of God in the image, glory of Christ who is the image of God. I'll get it right yet. Okay. They might not see the glory of Christ who is the image of God until God, who says, "Let there be light," shines in their hearts and gives them the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So Christ. So you say, well, but I thought God was revealing it to him. Well, he was. The God who said, let there be light. But who is the God who said, let there be light? Read Colossians chapter 1, and we find out that Jesus is the one who was in the beginning with the Father, creating everything. <laughs> so the Father and the Son are equal, and the Son is the one who has to reveal the Father to us in order for us to know the Father. That's what he's saying. I took organic chemistry when I was in college. Uh, I actually used my notes from organic chemistry when I was in, uh, actually got in the pastorate, and I used the backside of my notes to write my first sermons. Uh, that's where I did my studying. I never understood organic chemistry, just being straight up honest with you. Uh, I mean, I did okay in the class. I did well in the class because I studied my brains out, and I could memorize stuff, and I put stuff down on paper. But the, the thing that blew me away was there's actually people that understand it. I mean, they, they actually know how it works. I just, I mean, there was a gal, we take our tests, they had three-hour tests. We take the, we have the class in the morning, and there's an hour class, and then at night we'd have a three-hour test period. Ask the prophet, said, well, why don't you give us a test at night? Well, do you want to take the test that would take three hours? Do you want to take it during a one-hour class period? Oh, okay, we'll take the test at night. So we took the test. This girl was done in an hour. And she got an A every time. I mean, I was there, three-hour test, two, hour, two hours and 59 minutes, and then I hand my test in. Nobody can understand that they are a sinner separated from a holy and righteous God, deserving His wrath and His justice and His judgment, and that he sent his son out of love to die in our place so that if we would personally, individually accept his death as the payment we deserve, averting the wrath of God on us and pouring it out on his son, that we could be saved. No one understands that. Apart from the son revealing it to us. Apart from him opening our spiritually blind eyes to see it. And I plead with you this morning, if you have never understood it, I'm just explaining it. It's the Spirit of God and the Son of God who have to reveal it to you. And if you have understood it, 
Praise God, what a double measure of God's grace that the God of the universe would send his son, that his son would reveal himself and reveal the Father to us, make known to us the way of salvation, and then that he would bring it about not only the opportunity for us to be saved, that's the grace number one, but that he would reveal, open our eyes so that we would accept that salvation, that's grace number two. What a blessed thing. Because apart from Christ, we would be destined for an eternity in hell. But by his mercy and his grace, some of us are saved. And if you're here this morning and you hear the Spirit calling, you see and know the Son is revealing, then you just need to cry out to God and say, oh, I get it now. Not because I get it, but because you revealed it to me. And now I trust. And this benefit becomes mine. That I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm no longer a slave of Satan. I receive the truth. I reject error. And then he concludes in this verse, verse 20, that we are in the truth. We are in him who is true. This is a little complicated phrase, a little bit, verse 20. We are in him who is true. And verse 20, and he has given the Son, has given... We know that the Son of God has come and has given understanding in order that we might know Him who is true, that's the living God, and we are in Him who is true, that is the living God, and we are in Him who is true in His Son. We know Him who is true, living God, and we're in Him who is true through His Son. It says, in His Son, I think that means through His Son. The only way we are in relationship with the Father is through union with Christ by faith. And then the last phrase, I think, speaks of the deity of Jesus. He says in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God. Who is the true God? Jesus Christ. And eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. There's salvation in no other. Acts chapter 4, 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. It's through Jesus. Now, you say, well, yeah, but it could be described in the Father. Yeah. The exact same thing is true of the Father. He is the true God, and he is eternal life. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that you might know me, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. So it's true of the Father. But here, I think he's speaking about the Son, because the Father and the Son are the same. And we know the Son. And we know the Father, because we know the Son. And in union with the Son, we know the Father. And so we have this eternal life. And then he concludes it. Little children, guard yourself from idols. It's going like, really? What's that about? Because if you and I are in the sun, then our worship from God will be undeterred by any other thing that would take the place of God in my heart. Whatever we elevate above God in our heart, whatever we look to to provide us with the satisfaction that only God can provide, whether it's money, whether it's possessions, whether it's power, whether it's privilege, whether it's popularity, whatever it happens to be, is an idol that those who are in union with Christ would, would put away so that we can worship the only true God. And so I would challenge you this morning and challenge myself. Search our hearts. Psalm 129, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know me. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. 
we just search our hearts and ask God to, to reveal where it is that I may be worshiping an idol. Seek first the kingdom of God. Paul says, if then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Am I seeking the things above? I was sitting about there thinking about that this morning in the first service. Sorry, I probably shouldn't have been, but I was for a little while thinking, you know, man, so much of what I'm doing sometimes it seems to be I'm just seeking not the things of God. You know? And then the best thing I can think about doing is if we see an idol, strip it of its power. How do you do that? Well, give it away or... Uh, do something that, that takes its energy away. From, go serve and do something to serve other people for God's glory. Here's the deal. I have a friend. I was telling him about a, a credit card. We don't have this credit card anymore, but we had this credit card and it had benefits. You know, And the benefits of the credit card were such that my friend said, Ooh, I'm going to go get that credit card. So he went out and got a credit card. I'm telling you this morning, folks, there are benefits of believing. The benefits of believing is victory over sin. See? We, 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 we don't practice sin. We're, we're protected from Satan. We, it, benefit is we belong to God. And we are not slaves of Satan. Benefit is we have received the truth and we reject error. I think those are delicious benefits that I would encourage you. If you don't know Jesus, that should be an enticement that you would want to know Jesus. But the point is, great. Then trust Christ today. If you know Jesus, what an encouragement it is for us to know Jesus. And you know, as I think about it, none of these benefits come without a price. All that stuff I threw on the floor, yeah, it's benefits, but it cost me something. The credit card I own, it cost me something. The benefit of believing costs us the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. His body which was broken and his blood which was shed. And this morning, as we, we celebrate communion, I want you to think about the fact that the benefits we have from believing, the assurance of eternal life, the assurance of answered prayer, the fact that we are have victorious over sin, that we belong to God, and that we embrace and know the truth, those are great things, but they come at great cost. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever and one day he's coming oh glorious day every believer is welcome to partake of these elements it's our practice that we will come up in front and we'll take the elements and then go back to our seats uh, but if you are not a believer I just encourage you or you're in a position where you're not able to take it because there may be sin in your life and you're just not ready to do that that's fine there's no shame in that we just welcome you all to take it if you want to Father, let's go. Lord, I pray you would give us grace to trust you. I thank you uh, for the benefits of believing. What a joy it is, Lord, to know that we are not living in sin as believers, but we are protected from the evil one, that we are not slaves of sin, but we belong to God and that we are in union with Christ, our Father and the Spirit of God. Give us the strength and courage to live each day. May the bread that we break and the cup that we take remind us of the price that you paid so that we could enjoy these blessed benefits now and forever, we pray in Jesus' name.
wonder this morning if you have that blessed assurance that Jesus is your Savior. Blessed assurance of eternal life, of answered prayer, of the fact that we have victory over sin, we belong to God, and that we are in the truth if we're trusting in Jesus. If you do, what blessed things to rejoice in. And if not, I just invite you to cry out to God and just say, Lord, I want to trust you today and turn from my sin and accept you as my Lord and Master and Savior. You know, I just want to remind you, we're going to take up our offering. If you're a guest here this morning, just really ask all that you need to put in the, the bags that go by is just one of those gift cards if you so choose. And if not, that's fine. We're going to sing one last song after I pray and have the offering that come around. Father, I just pray thanking you so much for blessed assurance that believers have, benefits that are an encouragement to us, no doubt, but an invitation to those who don't know you. And I pray that if there's anyone here this morning not trusting you, that if you, Lord Jesus, have opened their eyes, I pray that they would cry out to you, confess their sin, and turn from it, and trust your death and your resurrection as the payment they deserve. And gain the promised new life that you give. Take this offering, use these gifts for your glory, Father, to advance your cause, we pray in Jesus' name.